This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, gosh, it's, it's a shame that we're not together on this fateful day. Ben Wilson, producer of Marketing Trends. What's up, man? Yeah, unfortunate I'm out here on the other coast, but uh, hopeful to make it out to California again soon here. Yeah, we'll have to do uh, our, our next our next episode here in, in studio in sunny Palo Alto. But, you know, we, we've been talking behind the scenes, uh, listening to a lot of our Marketing Trends episodes. And one of the things that was coming up kind of over and over and over again was this kind of two-part idea. One is, can marketers create the future? And then the second one was essentially this idea around audacious, repeatable content. So I gave a talk with the fantastic team at IBM Blue Wolf, and thanks to to Corinne, who's a multi-time guest on Marketing Trends for setting that up, and, uh, and talked to their team about this idea. Can marketers create the future? And if so, how would they do that? So Instead of kind of airing that that version, which was a little gritty, uh, we figured we'd kind of hop on and talk about it, uh, and then also just kind of talk about the goings-on with uh, with marketing trends. Before we get into that, Ben, our listeners might not know this, but you're training for the MBA. Is that true or false? <laughs> uh, that is true, uh, thanks to, to Mission. So Mission likes to give bonuses in a very particular certain way, which is that I got a bonus, certain dollar amount, and, uh, and you all told me, use this to do something that you otherwise would never do and that you can make a podcast episode about. And so I thought about that for, I don't know how long it was between when you actually gave me the bonus and when I came back and told you what I wanted to do with it. But it was one day I was shooting hoops and I was just making everything. And I thought to myself, how far could I go with this? So, uh, so the tryout is this Saturday. Is this it's Saturday? been a grind. I'm barely walking at this point. My back is like ruined, but uh, playing the best basketball of my life and just excited to go play against some really good players and see how it goes, see how I stack up. That is so awesome and excited. And for those of our listeners who don't know, Ben is extremely tall. So uh, that's that's part of the reason on our first offsite, everyone was kind of blown away. You're, you're so soft spoken for such a, a tall man. <laughs> the beats, uh, I don't remember who it was, but but someone in the company told me that I don't have tall energy just from talking to me <laughs> online. I don't know what that means. I was slightly offended, but yeah, everyone was surprised. Apparently, I don't have tall energy, but yeah, uh, producer true. Ben is tall. I, I think you do have tall energy. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. But and and the reason why I bring it up is because you know why why we do that is because we want employees to have experiences that end up leading to really cool stories. And it's a perfect segue into this idea of audacious, repeatable content. So, you know, when I was thinking about this, uh, we had Joe Polizzi on, the founder of Content Marketing Institute, and he said that there's essentially two reasons that content marketing doesn't work. The goal isn't big enough, 
or there isn't enough repetition. So we've talked about like multiple times on this show about this idea that, you know, for a human to change a habit, it requires 66 iterations of that. And I forget who did the research on that. So we can we can link it up later. But um, it, it kind of got me thinking about this idea of like, well, then what is something that's big enough and what I would I would call you know, remarkable enough stuff that you would actually tell people about, especially, you know, your buyers would tell people that are interesting. And then the second piece of this is like, how do you create enough repetition? How do you create repeatability? So you want it to be something that they can remember that sticks with them, that reminds you of them at at whatever time uh, that that's advantageous, or just something that, you know, makes people smile. I think that that's humor is a good way to do this too. So first, we're going to go into the Wayback Machine. Uh, you grew up here in the in the Sunny Bay area. If I were to say to you, Ben, now you have a friend. What would the end of that line be? In the diamond business, I do have a friend in the diamond business. It's, it's a Shane Company. I have also have a friend in the diamond <laughs> business. Yeah, not not a sponsored segment for Shane, but my uh, the engagement ring I bought at Shane Company. They have this jingle. They've been running these radio ads uh, with Tom Shane, the founder, in the Bay Area for, gosh, it has to be like 30 years. I, I don't know the exact time. Extremely memorable, very repeatable, you know, something that pretty much everyone in the Bay Area has heard in one form or fashion. And I, I kind of just always go back to this idea of like jingles, like the men's warehouse, you're going to like the way you look, I guarantee it. You know, 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS. You know, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I drink Dos Equis. All of these like really memorable slogans, especially associated with some type of music or some type of imagery. And for modern marketers, like that's just really hard to do now. I mean, it's really hard to be able to get that type of repetition with some of the advertising stuff that we have now. A good example of this I think we've seen recently is certain companies doing a bunch of of YouTube ads and having a video that plays consistently. But, you know, at the end of the day, like there's just so much more noise and that stuff really worked really well. So what got me kind of thinking was like, how do you get that same level of repeatability and memorability into, you know, current ad campaigns? So that was kind of kind of where we, I kind of started thinking about this. So then to take a step back, let's go back into the 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 way back machine here of like, can marketers create the future? Did you know this story about the Knowledge Navigator? So the Knowledge Navigator predates my birth by one year. And uh, I had not I had not heard of the Knowledge Navigator. But I mean, to me, it's just such a non-obvious question, right? Like, can marketers create the future? I mean, before I heard this story, I had never even considered the possibility that that we could. It's an it's a really interesting and fascinating question. Yeah, I mean, I I feel the same way. And so I when we interviewed Peter Shorts and he was telling us about the Knowledge Navigator, um, gosh, I don't know what episode that was uh, back probably twenty or thirty episodes ago on marketing trends. And if you haven't listened to it, I, I highly recommend. We'll, we'll link it up in the show notes. So basically, John Scully, the the then CEO of Apple, in nineteen eighty seven wrote a book called Odyssey, and it outlined a vision for a device called the Knowledge Navigator. And so basically what happened was this guy, Mike Liebold, who is a researcher for Apple's Advanced Technologies Group, came up with like a list of technologies to illustrate in a video for this like device. So in classic like marketing fashion, it was they gave a talk at a, at a conference 
and it went really well. And so they had another conference coming up where they wanted to, to talk about this. And so they were like, hey, marketing team, you have six weeks, write, shoot, create, edit this video, budget is 60 grand, do research, whatever, we're going to make this, this device. It's not on the product roadmap. It's not anything like that. We want you to create this essentially like this project to show what is possible for the future. So long story short, they ended up creating this video called the Knowledge Navigator. And essentially, like, it's this professor coming into work, checking his email, doing some research online, connecting with a colleague in Brazil uh, in a two-way video on his desk. If you haven't checked it out, it's, it's really funny because it's essentially a tablet. But this was, this was way, way, way predating the tablet or the iPhone or anything like that. And what was so interesting that Peter Schwartz talked about was like, this sent like a shockwave, this video, to throughout Silicon Valley and throughout innovators, you know, across the country about like what is possible. And so another person that it inspired was Steven Spielberg. So when they were working on Minority Report in 2002, they looked at this video as one of the templates for like, is this going to be how work is done in the future? So it's a fascinating look at our internal clocks as marketers of saying, is this project big enough? Is it bold enough? Is it, do I have the right budget? But for 60 grand, they impacted hundreds and hundreds of technologists that were trying to create products like that. And it was just with something futuristic. And then it got, you know, essentially portrayed or elements of it inspired, you know, Steven Spielberg and, and Peter Schwartz as they were building the future for a movie. That was just all done by the marketing department. And I just thought, like, what a cool story, but what a what an empowering thought. So, like, what are other examples of this? And what are some things that maybe marketers have done that are kind of in the in the same sort of vein? So if you think about how audacious that was, I would say like moderate. 60 grand was probably a decent amount to invest back then on something like that, but it wasn't an ad in the Super Bowl audacious. So then let's take that to the next level. Like what are the most audacious marketing things, the highest ROI, the best campaigns ever? So to me, I think of things like the Lexus advertisements in Minority Report. That movie has done 2 billion views. Lexus invested in that and clearly got a massive long tail return from that. So obvious that they came back for a similar type of investment in the movie Black Panther, which has pretty much set every, you know, box office record. And, you know, I mean, at some point, Black Panther is going to have been seen by 10 billion people in the world. It's going to be one of the most popular movies ever. It already is one of the most popular movies ever. And Lexus is kind of predominantly displayed. You look at like the Lego movie. So that movie was made for about $60 million and it grossed about $469 million worldwide. You're talking about a, essentially a, a massive marketing campaign that actually made them money, plus sales of Lego. I think, you know, it's rumored that went up like 25%. And now they have a franchise that they're going to continue rolling out with Lego Batman movie, which made $312 million, Lego Ninjahu, and, and on and on. So that Lego Ninjahu only made, it, it was disappointing because it only made $123 million. Meanwhile, this is a franchise for Lego to continue both marketing their product and making money. I, I think that's an important point too, that you know a campaign is successful when your CEO is coming in and saying, hey, how come you didn't make 
more money on this campaign, not in terms of like net sales, but just in terms of the campaign itself is making money, right? It, people were disappointed by the fact that the last Lego movie only made $123 million, kind of losing fact of the fact that this is an advertising campaign. <laughs> like that that's not taking into account what it did for the Lego brand or, or all the toys it might've sold. And it's something, it touches on both. It's highly ambitious it's an audacious goal. It's something that they probably took to their their CEO and was like, hey, we want to do this massive thing. We want to spend $60 million to make a movie and it could totally flop. But it's also now repeatable because they have a franchise that they can keep rolling out new assets. So if, if you take that example to like the B2B world of some of the people that we've interviewed on the show, like for example, Corinne, when early days at Blue Wolf, she decided to do the state of Salesforce report and every year they would create this massive report and then they would use all of the content for that throughout the year. Uh, another good example, like, you know, we interviewed Engageo's John Miller with their massive tome. I think it's like 170 pages on account-based marketing. That's a massive investment, but it's also a massive repeatable investment because every single year it comes out. You look at other campaigns like the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, Guinness wanted people hanging out at bars talking about stuff. So, you know, they created the Guinness Book of World Records, a big investment for them, a time investment, pretty crazy and audacious idea, but super repeatable because you could continually update over time. Um, same thing with like, you know, Michelin star restaurants, you know, you have Squatty Potty YouTube video, super audacious, 300 million views we had. We talked about that on the show. You know, all of these sort of things are are big investments and they take some convincing. They take conviction to be able to do that. But at the end of the day, if it's tailor-made for your audience and you're focused on the customer, it's probably the right thing to do. The issue is some of those are not repeatable. So just because you have a hit doesn't mean that you can always do that. And it's pretty difficult to be a hit maker. Like every movie studio is kind of in that in that realm. It's hard to continually make hits over time. So you want to build version one with the idea of repeatability, something that they can subscribe to, something that is part of their journey. I mean, just when it comes to repeatability, I, I think what you said makes a lot of sense, right? People, I think, agree that something needs to be be seen or heard or experienced a number of times in order to stick. So why is it that you think more marketers don't aim for repeatability? Because we've heard this from a number of guests, right? That way too many marketing departments just end campaigns before people have a chance to really even catch on to the message. So so why do you think that that's such a common pitfall that people fall into? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that we're at a place now where testing hypotheses is so cheap that you can get something out there, test it really well, and figure it out. I, a great example is uh, Larry Kim, who I'm sure everybody has heard of. He puts out a lot of really good content. And he has this unicorns and donkeys approach, right? So if you write a 1,000 pieces, 998 of them are going to be donkeys, two of them are going to be unicorns. Then take those two and promote the heck out of them because those are popular. And kind of his thing is like, you never really know which ones are going to stick. And I think that that's a really interesting approach because you have a lot of repeatability in content, but not necessarily making something that is a franchise, not making something that is a brand in and of itself. 
you know, when we talked to Matt Trefiro, who created State of the Edge, his company is embedded in edge computing. And he wanted to create something that was even bigger than their company that signified like what is edge and bringing in all sorts of different stakeholders to that. Um, You know, he had mentioned on the podcast that a piece of content isn't successful until someone is sick of it. Right. I think that a lot of a lot of marketers want to experiment and test certain types of messaging rather than just creating the exact thing that their audience is looking for. And I think a lot of that ends up becoming features, right? Like we just kind of end up talking about the product or about the features and not about like the long-term journey of our customers. Like where do they want to be in 10 years? If we were to create a franchise, you know, 10 years in the making, what would that look like? Yeah. And I think too, going back to that point about, you know, that, that Matt said about a piece of content isn't successful until someone is sick of it. I mean, who's going to be the first person to get sick of it? It's it's going to be the person who created it, right? The, the yeah. person who's working with it every day. And I, I see that sometimes with these marketing trends episodes, right? Like I've edited it, edited it. Wow. <laughs> edited it like four times before it comes out. And some of these marketing trends episodes, I never want to listen to again because I've heard them five times, right? And so I don't have a clear view of like what is interesting to people because for, for people who are listening to it once or twice, it's obviously not that, right? And so I think the marketers, the very people who are making these campaigns, they get sick of it way faster than anyone else does. And so they might be a little uh, trigger happy when it comes to, to ending them and starting something new. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And so I think you go you get into this kind of holy trinity that we think about at Mission, which is like this past, present, and future content. You have nostalgia, which is like lessons of people from the past who made similar decisions, who were in similar situations that can shape your thinking for the future. Those lessons are super valuable. You know, the the Tom Shane example of if you could put that elixir in a bottle, that would be something that would be great to roll out for the future. One of the first podcasts or our very first podcast that we did called The Story was an homage to a very famous radio program that ran for over 30 years, The Rest of the Story by Paul Harvey. And the reason why we did that is because it was a proven storytelling technique that was really, really popular for over 30 years. And we wanted to put people in kind of that same that same thought process and thinking about these stories that they may or may not know and have it be a little fun for them to guess who the protagonist is kind of throughout the, the episode. You know, this idea of past, present and future is essentially every story and, and it's every marketing story, too. I mean, you think about you basically got a problem, a solution and the result of the solution. Right. And so the problem is necessarily the past, right? It's how you got to where you are. Uh, and now you have, uh, it's what brings you to the current situation where you have this issue. The solution is the present. And then the future is, you know, what you're hoping that your customer or your client feels when, once they've used uh, your solution. And so this isn't just like an idea that we came up with, but like every single marketing strategy needs to have these three elements of the past, the present, and the future. Yeah, and I think so So many folks are not creating content that's kind of all three of those things. Content from the past, content from the cutting edge, and then content that is looking forward into the future. And I think a lot of times we try to do that 
but we're stuck kind of in a sort of content map that is pretty rigid and not taking some risks on what the future looks like or taking some risks on how that type of content is going to be delivered to people. I would say the best methods are a blend of evergreen versus appointment. One of the early lessons that I remember, Rich Eisen, who's the host of uh, Rich Eisen Show, when he had his podcast back, this was probably like 10 years ago, the reason why he left ESPN for NFL Network was he wanted to be part of the NFL where half of the time it was appointment television, you had to be watching it live, and then the other half of it was evergreen, or not evergreen, but like discussions, and that's how he had his podcast. So it was discussions around what had just happened. And I always thought that was an interesting way of looking at things. Like, how do you create something that is appointment television, and then how do you create discussions around it? I think that the blending of fiction and nonfiction, I I mean, you know, obviously we we love fiction writing here at Mission, but I, I think beyond that, there's just so few marketers that are creating fiction. And when you look at creating the future and what things like Star Wars did, the holographic imaging in Star Wars, that how that has informed the founders of Magic Leap, for example, or on and on down the line, so much of fiction storytelling dictates what technologists want to create. And it's a lot easier to write something for the spoken word than it is to, you know, get a full length movie production. But I would challenge marketers that they can write more fiction, especially for business content. It's a relatively untapped area. And then I would say blending narrative versus interviews. I mean, we've, we've been working on a ton of shows like The Journey, like Hidden in Plain Sight, which is coming out soon, where we're blending narrative storytelling versus just interview storytelling. We're going to work on some of that stuff for marketing trends as well. But I really think that we're so good at storytelling as marketers, and we just don't really do it enough because we focus so much on just kind of publishing, you know, listicles or things like that. Uh, in terms of, you know, these these blended approaches, you look at something like the Joe Rogan podcast mm -hmm. where, I mean, I look at it and I see this three and a half hour podcast and I think, who listens to this? And the answer is millions of people, literally millions of people listen to three and a half hours. And in this digital world, I, I think we get so focused on a certain type of message that can be conveyed very quickly, very easily. Uh, but, you know, to your point, a lot of times something that's different, something that's maybe fiction, what pe which people are not used to, or a little bit more of a narrative structure or, or a little bit longer in how the content is delivered, it breaks through because it is different. And and so, you know, we, we shouldn't shy away from that. Yeah. But this goes back to utility, right? Everyone says that, you know, like millennials and, and younger generations have a super short attention span and all this stuff, the swipe right generation. Yeah, they do for certain things, but they also have way longer attention spans for other things. Are they going to sit there and, and, you know, fold out a newspaper and read a long, you know, article? Like, yeah, not necessarily, but also uh, millennials and younger generations listen to podcasts at a much higher rate. Like, hey, if you told someone that someone was spending 45 minutes a week with them, that's a lot of time, right? Versus, you know, we're recently looking at a website that has a, a, a theme around one of the topics that we discuss on one of our podcasts. You know, their average time on site is a minute 58. And their average engagement is, you know, 1.3 pages. 
what are we optimizing for if that's the case, right? Uh, when you have the opportunity to tell a story that someone hangs out with you uh, for 10 hours a quarter because you're providing that much value. So I just think that there's a lot of nuance there and different sort of things that you can do. And I think that ultimately this comes down to measuring ROI and retargeting. Like, I think there's two major themes here. You have qualitative and quantitative. Everything in like account-based marketing, all of that is blending, is going towards engagement. Like that is happening. Everyone is looking at engagement rather than kind of like reach metrics or these different sort of things. If you're playing a game in which Google and Facebook control 80% of ad spend, then those two things are a tool in your kit to measure all of the things that you're creating. But when it comes to the qualitative impact, the human impact, how do you measure how much you're helping someone? How do you measure if something that you did gave someone the courage to apply for a job? How do you measure, you know, if that taught them how to do sales? How do you measure you know, if they reference you all the time, you know, and I know that there's a lot of marketing technologies that are trying to figure out word of mouth and all of that, but it goes beyond that. Like, how do you measure if something puts a smile on somebody's face every day? And I think that we'll get more refined with how we think about creative ways to do that. We've heard from a lot of guests, but those are the type of things I think are so fascinating because is someone going to be talking about your ad campaign 40 years from now? Like we talk about you know, the Shane company, like we talk about the Dosakis guy, like that's the question that I would have. And that's most of those campaigns are, are audacious and repeatable campaigns. But the next level of that is, is it their favorite thing in the world? Like there are so many kids that are growing up that Black Panther is their favorite thing on earth, right? And that was paid for in part by what Lexus did, the investment that Lexus made, uh, just like many other Steven Spielberg movies where he had lots of product placement. So as a marketer, I, I feel like it's so empowering because you can shape how stories are told more so than you ever have in the past. You know, back in the day, I think that that was more so reserved for consumer companies. But I think B2B companies are sitting at the cutting edge of content. Like, could you sponsor a movie? Could you sponsor a TV show in a way that is more embedded than than ever before? Um, we've talked about the fact that we want to make a, a marketing trends TV show at some point in time, uh, you know, a, a fictional TV series. Like, I think that that sort of stuff is really fascinating to me. And I think if we do a good job of measuring the quantitative, the reach, the are you hitting your target accounts? Are we reaching the correct prospects? Are we using multimedia? and the qualitative, that human impact, I think we're going to be in, in rarefied air. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of past, present, future, put this in the future for us. What is it going to look like uh, or what will it look like for, for someone who puts this all together and, and has this kind of audacious, repeatable campaign? Or, or are there any present examples that you can uh, that you would really point to that kind of tie together all of this? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at if you look at some of the like you take the the serial ads that that Mailchimp had done as as a good example of something that you know about three hundred million people heard that were funny that were interesting. I feel like that's the type of like memorable piece. But then you know there was no kind of through line there. There's not something that continues to go on. I mean, I would say the the takeaways here for marketers is that you know number one, if you're going to create 
a character for an ad, create something that you could turn into serial content. Like actually think about the person as a character. I think you've seen like Geico has done this really well over the years uh, with the Gecko and, and things like that. They don't just create an ad, they create a character. And then the next step of that is what would you do with that character? Where would they go? What would they do? What is their story? Why are they doing the things that they were doing? Could you turn that into a TV show? Could you turn that into a movie? I think that those are the sort of things that if you kind of go down the line of what other things could this character do, flow is another good example for progressive. And again, those are just scratching the surface. Like you could make those characters, you know, four-dimensional or three-dimensional characters if, if you wanted to. The second lesson I would say is distribution is becoming more and more commoditized and that casino effect always wins unless you fill, find a way to build exponential value. So if you're only ever buying ads and you're never creating things that are original that can build virality, then you're just going to keep kind of spending more and more. The third lesson that I would say is create the time and budget to make small bets on scalable projects with high upside. This was something that Jonathan Mendenhall talked about from his time at Airbnb. I think the number was like, investment, or maybe it's $150,000, maybe it's $50,000, I forget off the top of my head. But obviously, everybody's budgets are different, but you need to be able to make small bets on scalable projects that have high upside because you don't always have to bet the farm, but if it can become scalable, then it's a great bet. If it can't, if it's just a one-off thing, I personally don't see why you would invest that much time, effort, and energy into something that would be a one-off thing that you would never want to do again. And kind of similar to starting a business, like, is this a campaign you want to run for the next seven years? Yes or no? Well, if the answer is yes, then it probably sounds pretty compelling. Um, The fourth lesson I would say is you have to spend big to win big in most cases. Uh, So don't be afraid to make the big bets that have the potential for those exponential returns. The Knowledge Navigator was 60,000 bucks. It never ended up becoming a product. And... It was something that, you know, at the time was probably not a ton of money, but was enough money that it had a huge impact on on a lot of people. It didn't necessarily, you know, win all the product awards because it never got launched, but it was something that they invested in. Conversely, Lego investing $60 million to return 460 is classic. Spend big, win big. And then the final lesson is like invest in past, present, and future content. Past informs who we are. The present is what is at the cutting edge, what is going on right now from practitioners in the struggle. And the future is unknown. And it's exciting for marketers to be able to create that. And I would just encourage our listeners to be able to to create things that are novel, that are not in the world yet, because I I think we all are looking for that stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Ian, uh, for coming on today. Any any final thoughts before we sign off? No, dude, this was fun. You know, I think, um, you know, for our listeners, we're going to do this a little bit more. Ben and I are going to get on every now and then and, and talk about stuff. If you ever have any questions for us, email team at marketingtrends.com. You can hit us up on uh, on Twitter at the Mission HQ at any time. Um, you can reach out. My Twitter is at Ian Faison. But yeah, we're just looking for feedback on the show from listeners. We want to make this as helpful as possible. We have a lot of really fun stuff coming up for the end of the year and, and on to next year. So um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. We appreciate it. We really value every single listener and, uh, and we want to make your lives better. So let us know how. And uh, if you're not already, go to marketingtrends.com, subscribe to the newsletter. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.